It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Nesson Dorma, episode 7, I think we're at now, your weekly chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert and we welcome this week the return of Mr Rob Smythe after his small absence. Hello Rob. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good, good. And also joining us this week is author of Football Clichés and all-round general Twitter video legend, Mr Adam Hurry. Hello Adam. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> uh, the- this is the Ness and Dorma podcast, the 80s and 90s football podcast. You can get in touch with us at Ness and Dorma pod on Twitter or there's contact at Ness and Dorma pod if you want to email us. We're available on Acast and on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as we have to call it now, and anywhere else you want to use us as your favourite pod player. You can leave reviews as well. Thank you for those of you who have left reviews. Uh, so what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we'll be nominating some things for the underrated Hall of Fame, which I'm determined to make into a thing. <laughs> Uh, we'll be talking about the backpass rule and the change in 1992 as part of that as well. Uh, we'll be considering some of one of the greatest of all football arguments, stroke conundrums, stroke the dividing line really about the kind of person that you are possibly. Uh, are you Barry or are you Motti? We'll come on to that. And also we'll be selecting the first of what will become a regular feature, I think, with, the, with our journeyman of the week. So there you go. Speaking of contacts that I mentioned earlier, we've had an email, believe it or not. So there are people out there, Rob. So have you been uh, have you been making up pseudonyms again? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I didn't even make it up. <laughs> the the email is from Gary Ashdown. He says, "Hi, gents. Very much enjoying the podcast. Looking forward to many further episodes. Thank you very much." He says, "And I have a what if scenario that I'd like you to consider." He said, "1992-1993 season. Dion Dublin, recently signed to carry the Manchester United forward line, doesn't break his leg against Crystal Palace." He goes on to become Manchester Manchester United legend, at times carrying the team as they go on to win title after title. Meanwhile, Leeds United's exotic forward Eric Cantona 
stays for a season or two, scores a few, moves to Aston Villa, and then traipses around the league, often playing as an emergency centre-half. <laughs> widely, <regarded as, laughs> widely regarded as a solid stalwart, but ultimately unfashionable forward, he retires at the age of 36. Does Eric go on to pre- present Holmes under the hammer? And does, Ke- <laughs> and does Ken Loach eventually make a movie titled Looking for Dion? <laughs> I do think Eric Cantona presenting Holmes Under the Hammer would be probably the greatest piece of modern television you could ever think of, really. I quite like the idea of Dion Dublin uttering that line where he's at Cantona, so I'm not a man, I'm Cantona. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a man, I'm Dublin. I'm not a man, I'm Dion Dublin, yeah. <laughs> I guess all, all, we're missing, all we're missing from this very, very extended um, parallel universe is uh, what Alex Ferguson thinks about Eric Cantona in the shower. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah. So, yeah, that was. Thank you very much for that, Gary. That could become a regular feature, I think. A little what, trip through what if uh, what if something else didn't happen and maybe did somebody else end up somewhere else, maybe. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. So, then let's move on to what we think is some underrated stuff. So, we'll have an underrated now, then we'll talk about Barry and Motti, and then a few more things and an underrated as we go through. Adam, when we asked for people to nominate underrated things, you came up with a, quite an interesting one. So, do you want to tell us what that is? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be deliberately uh, clever here. I, um, <laughs> I I thought momentarily about an underrated player, but that, you know that always gets a reaction of no, I've quite rated that guy. So, <laughs> so I avoided that completely, and uh, I went for a sort of a little bugbear of mine, really, because uh, it all stems from when people sneer about uh, the claim that football was invented in 1992. The the idea that we all just assumed that that everyone started watching football when, when Sky took over. Now, my 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 bugbear with this is that. To an extent, football was invented in 1992, or rather reinvented, because there was this moment um, which has since gone under the radar a little bit. But this is a moment that completely transformed football, and it was the introduction of the backpass law. Mm. Um, and it came in in the summer of 1992, just after the European Championships. And which, and but obviously, this this law had been in the in the in the pipeline for some time. It had been inspired by uh, a rather dour World Cup in 1990. Um, and so they went back to the drawing board and said, how, you know, how can we improve this game? How can we, how can we make it more exciting to watch? Um, and uh, the end of Euro 92 was quite an opportune time for it to come in because Denmark, as, as fairy tale as their story had been, they saw out this final against, um, against Germany with some unbelievable um, keeping of possession, uh, to use the best euphemism I can. Um, they, 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 were winning, they were winning sort of free kicks for offsides or whatever in their own half. And um, they were just tapping it back to Schmeichel. And he would just stand there with his hands hovering over the ball while Klinsmann increasingly wearily <laughs> ran up to him and said, you're just going to pick that pass without fighting. <laughs> and, and they just kept on doing it. And, um, and some of these back passes were, were just incredible. There was, there was a free kick on the halfway line, which they just hoofed back. Um, there was a free kick deep in their own half, which they gestured to play upfield, and then right at the last minute, whoever was taking it just sort of spun round and hit it back to Schmeichel. So, um, so that was the, it. Was the final flourish for for what um, was you know everyone's favourite get out clause. And um, looking back, and you know again hindsight is a wonderful thing, but looking back, it makes me wonder how teams ever lost a, a one goal lead late in the game. <laughs> there is that, yeah, that is isn't it. Yeah, a classic example being sort of the 1989 game between Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, well, I look at it, I look back at it now, and you know, just before Arsenal Arsenal score their 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 famous goal, John Barnes is running into um, into the 
opposition area. He loses the ball and Arsenal launch an attack. Now, what Barnes could have done, or anyone could have done, is just 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 turn around and smack it all the way back to Grobelar. How anyone lost a lead when they when it was perfectly within the laws of the game just to boot it back to your own goalkeeper for him to just bounce happily on the ground, hoof it up the pitch again. I mean, there's this vague concept of ungentlemanly conduct which you know could have been deployed at any stage. Um, it never was though, so, was it? The ungentlemanly no, conduct thing was never often. deployed. So you go on. So right. wasn't. I mean, but even even in that game, actually, I think it was. Um, Round about, round about the time um, Arsenal scored, maybe a couple of minutes before, Steve McMahon got the ball in his own half, and he sort of he did this sort of um, hip swerve and, uh, around a, an Arsenal striker, and then laid the ball back to, to Grobelar. Now, watching it on the video, it looks like he's laying the ball forward for someone to go through on goal. That's how that's how stealthily brilliant the uh, that mm-hmm. back pass was. But it was all in vain. And and so again, uh, just a overstretch the point i just i can't fathom how anyone um uh, lost any late lead back in the sort of 80s and early 90s but anyway um so yeah so ifab this this kind of mythical board of of old fuddy duddies decided to um bring in this rule sorry what was that Um, called ifab ifab which is the (laughs) international football association board which is i don't know it's, it's where they are i've got no idea they sit in this kind of wood paneled room somewhere in central europe who knows? And um, and it's made up of um, a, a, again very old fashioned. It's made up of um, uh, a representative from FIFA, and then the four home nations who have this, who used to have this kind of un, disproportionately um, uh, huge influence over the over the rules of football. In recent times, they've kind of balanced it out a bit, but they still have these the four members uh, of the home nations associations. And in football, uh, football, of course, I have another thing I do is a rugby pod. And obviously, Rob, you write yeah. about cricket a lot. And what's noticed about football is it seems a very modern game, but actually in terms of things like rule changes and stuff, they move at like a prehistoric pace to make any changes to anything, don't they, basically? I think that's rightly so, isn't it? I don't, I, Rob, I don't know how you think about it, but I think, I mean, they, the rules haven't changed too much in the last hundred years or so after being sort of, you know, jiggled around with in the latter part of the 19th century. But it's probably a good thing that we don't tinker with it too much. That's true. You can go too far. In cricket, you had that super sub fast. And, oh, God, but, yeah. Yeah, but, but, yeah. <clears throat> um, but, I, but I agree, it does take a long time, generally. Just I, IFAB sounds like a really shit geriatric boy band, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a great name. Or one of those things you buy off Amazon, which That's is right. sold as some kind of official Apple thing, and it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's from like China way, somewhere. What the way it's two ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. So that thing about it being underrated is interesting, though, Adam, because it is that thing about. I remember because I think I'm a bit older than you, and I remember when it came in, and I remember thinking, I remember be, one being very excited about it because of that thing that things didn't change in football much. It seemed like a massive thing. We've had offside and stuff since then, haven't we? But that was, and I remember, and I remember, being, I remember being genuinely quite excited about it actually. And it was so weird watching games. For at least a month, well, where I couldn't figure yeah, it was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, oh, oh yeah, you can't do that, can you? Oh, he's had to kick it, sort of thing. That can't. Well, exactly. I mean, um, but, but there wasn't much. There wasn't much that players could really do to prepare for it. I guess. I mean, um, so obviously the the game essentially changed overnight. So you know, a fundamental but rather un, you know under the radar rule had changed. But you still had a set of players who were, who were very well versed in in that way of playing. So um, there were a couple of teams. Yeah. It's it's kind of um, hypothesised that it was the death of Liverpool as a, as a force in English football. I mean, there are various other factors at play there, but a team like Leeds United, for example, who had 
who who'd use the um, the back pass to a, to the to the goalkeeper to to reset everything as a game plan in their title winning season the season before where, where they they get the ball back to John Lukic and everyone would pile up the field and he'd hoof the ball up so it was so a team like Leeds who essentially collapsed the following season because they, because they had a set of players who were completely geared towards that way of playing in a more short term way um, the very first week of the Premier League season um, on match of the day which you can watch on YouTube somewhere um, where they, 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 they intro match of the day by talking about this rule and so saying how many problems goalkeepers had. And there was this kind of sh- short montage at the start of, start of match of the day just by these kind of horrified late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s goalkeepers just going, what the hell, is, what the hell am I going to do now? Because they had to use their feet and it was, it was amazing. What, what I like about the back part, I completely agree with all that. What I like the most is if you look at the scores in Serie A for maybe the first five, six weeks of that season. <laughs> now, Serie A traditionally, you know, it's 0 0, 1 0, 2 0, whatever. And it's just an orgy of goals 4 4. <laughs> there was a, I remember Milan won 7 3 at Fiorentina. It's like the whole yeah. defence of goalkeepers had to go cold turkey. It was, it was like basically, it was like taking, I don't know, taking social media off a journalist. They just didn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> it was honestly, the scores are so funny. It's just it complete, like Adam said, it just like everything they knew had gone out the window. Well, we uh, could settle down after a while, but yeah, we could glorious. we could spend probably an entire episode talking about, about the back pass rule. But what I will say is, yeah, I do think I agree with you that maybe it's not given as much of a, tr- a recognition as a transformational thing it was now, and so maybe it is kind of underrated. I think you're probably right. So moving on, uh, let's talk about Motti versus Barry. Now, how we're going to do this? Now, we're going to do Motson first. First of all, the question comes up often, doesn't it? Who do you like, Motson or Barry Davis? Has anyone, is anyone going to be brave enough to plump for it, or is it too difficult? I, I, it's unfortunate that they've been pitted together in that way. I mean, it's um, you know, I grew up, I grew up um, questioning anyone who watched CITV instead of CBBC. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Motson and Davis shouldn't. I, I, I don't think there should be a kind of dichotomy like that. And um, I think I've read a lot of interviews with Barry Davis and, and he's always asked this question and you can almost hear the sigh that he makes as you read, read these interviews because he doesn't like being, he doesn't like this kind of constructed rivalry that they had. He, he always um, makes, makes a comment about how he feels a little bit kind of hard done by that, that Motson got so many big games. But that's purely a professional thing that he, he, he thought he deserved more and I, I, I think he deserved more. And that's why he went off and did other sports. But um, by all accounts, they get on perfectly well. Um, no, I've heard I, I, that I, as well. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that's the situation. Um, I think what we can agree on, though, is that they're both better than Brian Moore, aren't they? I, I was never a Brian Moore guy. Nobody's I, a Brian Moore guy. Said, he's, he's, he's a hang mystifying... On, hang on, hang on. Oh, God, go on, 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 Hang on, hang on. <laughs> I, 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 I like Brian Moore. I would... Uh, I probably have Brian Moore above Motson, I think. Ooh, that is, now that is controversial. Our seven listeners are going to be erupting in in horror. But it, uh, yeah, it's such a personal thing, isn't it? Commentary. Yeah. I'd have Barry Davis top definitely, but so much of it's quite hard to articulate. You just kind of like I don't know someone's style or voice, but you can't really explain why. I, I quite like Brian Moore, particularly when he kind of growled as I don't know the ball went somewhere like Ronaldo or something, and he would just growl their name. I don't know. It got me every time. And he did do it sort of yeah, for grabs now, didn't he? Which is a genuinely brilliant piece of commentary. I kind of associate Brian Moore with um, uh, um, sort of relentless United games um, midweek on, on <laughs> ITV when obviously there were only, only one English team allowed and United was, and it was just Brian Moore and um, just Ryan Giggs running down the wing there. <laughs> um, 
and um, and then just watching them win when I didn't really want them to win, and and it was and, and that's what I associate him with. I mean, and um, and I didn't really have much of a an idea of him before that. Um, so what do we love do about a, what do we love about Motson then? Well, I do, this is I do have a theory about um, about Motson's voice, which perhaps gave him a kind of subconscious kind of common man edge over Davis. Davis was obviously his you know an almost operatic kind of um, uh, vocal presence but the thing about Motson is um he was born in he was born in Lancashire um born in, yeah born in Lancashire he was raised in um Bury St Edmunds then he lived in sort of Suffolk and then uh, then he then he ended up spending most of his life in in Hertfordshire and he and he ended up with this kind of accent that you couldn't really place um as well as the fact he had a quite an unusual voice, the kind of sort of very emphatic voice, and it had a it had a kind of depth to it, but it also had this shriek to it. So, um, <laughs> so the fact that you couldn't really place where he was from, I I, I wouldn't have been able to really guess. He was just um, he was just generically so southern to me. He was always generically well, yeah, southern. Yeah. I guess so. So there was something in it for pretty much everyone, and um, and his and his voice kind of lent itself to dramatic moments. I mean, I grew up watching gold compilation videos. That's how I kind of. That's how I kind of consumed Davis and Motson for the first ten years of my life. So I kind of really only ever heard them when they were when they were um, commentating over really really famous goals that made their names. And um, so, as far as I was concerned, equally, you, that neither of them could do wrong. Um, if you put them into a modern game, it, or, or rather, um, more accurately, if you put them into a, into a modern broadcast, I don't think anyone would really appreciate how good they were because they are so different to modern commentators. Davis has gone on record saying that commentators now simply talk too much, uh, which I think is probably right. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, they were very, very much of their time and I don't think they'll ever be, you know, surpassed in that sense. Well, you mentioned about his voice and, and I think you've mentioned before, Adam, that you, you came to the conclusion that Hughes as in Mark or the word Hughes Basically, <laughs> massively matched John Watson's voice. So here's an example. We've got some clips. Here's an example of him saying, "I'm not going to use the Oldham goal because that'll be too upsetting for me." Oh. So, so, uh, so we'll do the one against Sheffield United. I think it was in the was it the FA oh, Cup okay. this one? Possibly. Oh, is it that long passing move? Yeah, the big long one two one two. Anyway, here it is. Listen yeah. to this. Parker Hughes, Cantona, little flick. Hughes again. Move it on. Ince. Hughes, it's a good move, this. Hughes, Ince, Hughes! Great move! Fantastic move! Oh, what a beautiful goal! Count the passes! I didn't count how many times you said Hughes in that, but it seemed like a lot, and every one of them was glorious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. It's, it's perfect. Just as an aside in that game, you, you know it was commentary when... Hughes kicks David Tuttle up the bollocks. I was just saying, is that the same game where basically <laughs> yeah, just runs into yeah. the corner flag with him and hoofs him straight up the hoop? Yeah, straight up the trousers. But yeah, what I like about that as well is that it's it's that thing in the sun about this with Davis later on, where when he suddenly realizes something's developing, he yeah. thought he goes, he goes, you know, Hughes, it's oh, it's a good move. This, like, you know, you think, yep. oh yeah, I can see what's coming now. Sort of I like he, up, he upgrades it from good to great after one more pass, which I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> good move, this great move, but yeah, <clears throat> that's so true about Hughes. I never thought about that. It's like it's absolutely perfect for that kind okay, of all Hughes right. voice. I will play it, but here's the other Hughes example. It's only a minute to go. It's come to Lee Sharp. Milligan has to get the head on this. Beckford is needed. He wasn't there. It's hooked back in for Hughes. It's there. <laughs> 
Oh, every single time I hear it, it's like a knife through my heart. <laughs> but he, he does he does say that surname so beautifully. It does it. Hose. It's it's half. <laughs> he, he says he says it like a Welsh well, person one, would. It's only, one, only one syllable, but there's so much going on. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it was a similar with um, uh, Viali, where when he played for Chelsea, I think there was a game where they played Liverpool at Stamford Bridge and they came back in in the FA Cup to win four two. And Viali scored quite late on, and it was just Viali. <laughs> and um, and and it, there was that academically, it's been proven that, that apparently that that Motson had the perfect voice for commentary. There was a study in two thousand one. How, how does how does what I know? I'm not an academic, right? But how does one prove such a thing? Is it because of the emotion, the lilt, and the light and shade, and all that kind of it, stuff? It's, just, it's a purely sort of oral thing. So some voice analysts concluded that he had the perfect pitch, volume, and rhythm. Um, for football commentary Um, uh, how anyone could possibly prove this I don't know but but from my perspective it's the way he kind of swirls each word around the bottom of his mouth kind of swallows it and then squawks it back out so (laughs) you you have every possible range of the frequency spectrum and um, and uh, so he used words like oh extraordinary Um, which just so much there's so much talk in there there's so much so much force in this in, in in one word and um, uh, yeah, and it, just, it captured my imagination as a kid. I think, but, I think um, the but, thing but with Davis Mo- is another thing entirely. The thing with Motson as well, I think, is that in what made him appealing, I think, is in many ways he was kind of presented as all of us. He was this yeah, kind of really exactly. giddy fan who couldn't believe his luck, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. We always imagine that's how we'd react if we were put in that situation. We always imagine. I don't think it was right, but I think the perception was that with Barry Davis, it was a job because he did other commentary jobs. It was seen as a job, I think. Whereas with Motson, it was almost, it's not a job. He's just absolutely loving this, like he's just been dropped in. Is that fair, Rob, do you think? Or? Possibly. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know whether that was true of Barry Davis. Maybe he was Maybe he was seen as slightly aloof. So I knew what mm. you mean, yeah. I, I think the whole common man appeal that kind of nails not only Motson's popularity, but also why he got so many gigs ahead of Barry Davis. I think Barry Davis got like what was it, one World Cup final, two oh. FA Cup finals, or something. So yeah, I, I think that does explain it. Um, should we have? Should we have some more Mots and Magic? Let's have it. Two to his right, and Platini through the middle. Tigana oh, this again. is brilliant. Tigana, Tigana, Platini, go! <laughs> Platini for France with a minute to go. It's three-two. I've not seen a match like this in years. I've totally <laughs> forgotten about that. That's his finest hour. I, I love when kind of calm commentators lose their shit. You know, we spoke about Martin Tyler a few weeks ago yeah. into Sampdoria game. Barry Davis has two two big examples, which is Leeds will go mad and Bergkamp's goal against Argentina. I, I love it when commentators just completely lose their head. When, it, when it's natural, I agree. Yeah, exactly. When, when you don't, don't, yeah, not when it's Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Like once or twice in a career, you know. Um, yeah. So it has kind of real scarcity value, but that and that was kind of justified with that France game. That was the Euro '84 semi-final, mm. obviously when they beat Portugal, and it was just an incredible game, last-minute winner. Um, yeah, good on it's you. Very, it's also it's a very extreme example of of some classic Motson actually, because um, whenever whenever a big goal goes in, he had this kind of little perhaps I don't know I don't think it was planned, but he had this little system of where he would essentially repeat three things: uh, the fact <laughs> that a goal had been scored, uh, the surname of the player. And the minute that it had happened, or something like that, and, <laughs> and he would just interchange them and say them in, in very different ways. So it would be like <laughs> Platini for France in the minute, 
in the middle. <laughs> and then <laughs> That's so true. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, and also he'd often say with X minutes to go, wouldn't he? <laughs> and yeah. um, so, so it plugs into this kind of caricature of Motson as this statty kind of data spitting nerd, which is really unfair. In the same way that this kind of idea of Barry Davis as this schoolmaster figure was a little bit overplayed as well. Or maybe not, but um, <laughs> but neither of them really. Well, both of them had a lot more in their in their locker than that. But um, but yeah, Motson Motson. If you think about it, he, he had this kind of uh, dodgy 2002 World Cup where he started using some breakfast similes. But other than that, he <laughs> it was very instinctive, very simple, and and endlessly um, repeated. It was eminently quotable. Um, so in terms of the art of commentary, especially these these vital moments where a goal is scored in a big game, I don't think there was anyone better. I really don't. Every now and then he got it wrong with his pre... And you're right, I don't think he did it very often. But every now and then he would plan a line. So you get some gems like the uh, crazy guy beating the country. Yeah, that is well, a blinder. Yeah. Still a but blinder, whether he wrote it or not. Yeah. When Denmark won in 92, he said something like, it's delightful, it's dramatic, it's Denmark. So, yeah. Iteration is usually Peter Drury's thing. Eastern history, hysteria. Yeah. Picture Drury is another thing entirely. Um, I know a lot of people hate him, but I, I think he's he's a, he's my cult commentary hero. I, I quite um, like my only the only thing I dislike about Peter Drury is he, when when an equaliser was scored, he'd always shout parity. Which... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really shit board game. <laughs> yeah, parity. I wish I had. Yeah, but I, I agree about Peter Drury. But you're right. That's another. Episode my favourite yeah. underrated commentator ever was John Helm, who always got like the fourth tier game on oh, Match of the Day. Like on his own. Yeah. He did a great when Socrates scored an absolute screamer against USSR in 82, John Helm did a... I forget exactly what it was, but it was a brilliant commentary. I quite like John Helm. Yeah, Me, John Helm. Meanwhile, back at Motson, you can't have a Motson without an OIC, can you? Ready? You can't see this, listeners, but Rob just mouthed that as it was being said. That's a fantastic one, isn't it? I think Barry Davis um, is how I say quite a bit as well, doesn't he? I, um, I think another thing about that goal, sorry to, sorry to jump in before I forget it. Um, just after that, it's another bit of classic Motson where after a goal comes in and then it's maybe the replay's playing, he has this kind of rhythmical listing of what's happened. Um, <laughs> one side said the linesman, and then he just sort of you can you almost you can hear the commas as he moves on. And it's, and it's, it's a brilliant bit of storytelling. I mean, I, I realise that you know, a lot of commentary, commentary is essentially just telling you what you're seeing, but he he just kind of lists what happened, and um, that that is one of my favourite commentary goals. It just from start to finish, everything is absolutely perfect. I'm gonna fi- we'll finish on Motson with this one. It's quite a long one, but I think it's a blinding one because and Adam, this is one you sent to us where. It's when England beat Argentina in that friendly in 2002, <laughs> was it? And it's 2005. So we're going outside of our years, but it's just it's Motson, so you can. And um, but it's more, it's it's just, yeah, it it is it is obviously he's living his fantasy of England winning the World Cup, as you said, but actually it isn't. It's just, a, it's, but it's still great. <laughs> so it's about a minute long. So bear with it, everyone. But it is fantastic because he just winds himself up all the way through it. <laughs> Oh, the 
Sounds like Whippy from Rainbow at this point. Wayne Rooney picked the ball up. Now Argentina on the attack. Oh, it's put through by Saviola and it's Cruz. No penalty. Referee wins it away. Cruz was looking for one. What a climax in the first minute of stoppage time now. Rooney for England. Joe Cole. Crouch comes in far side. But the, oh! We've got it. England has scored again. It's Michael Owen. It's 3 2. Owen. Oh, Owen 2 in a matter of minutes. What an amazing finish in Geneva. Michael Owen there again, and Argentina are deflated. They're standing around looking at each other, and they don't know where the lead has gone, and they don't know where the match has gone. But it's gone to England. I am crying. That was that was that was that was basically that was the last time Moxon was good, and then, <laughs> that was the last time it was okay to be happy about England uh, in in some stupid friendly in Geneva, I think it was. Um, in a, yeah, um, oh, I mean I'm in tears listening to that. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. That, that is absolutely. I've not heard that before. That is, <laughs> that is it is glorious, isn't it? So yeah, so there you go. That's that's some little trips through uh, our memories of John Motson and what we think of him but we, we love him don't we but we think I think we're all united in maybe our love of Barry we'll come on to that a little bit later on so moving back to some underrated things then Rob you had a nomination of the 1993-94 Arsenal Cup Winners Cup I think can I just quickly go back to back, the back pass law yeah of course you can yeah so, so I, I just remembered a story that the back pass law came in in 92 but Nottingham Forest came in a bit earlier than that because in 90, 1991 they played Crystal Palace in the FA Cup, and they were 2-1 up in the last minute of extra time. Keane passed the ball back to Mark Crossley, Roy Keane, who kind of half-cleared it to Solarco, scored from 45 yards. And then they went in the dressing room, and Brian Clough walked up to Keane, and without saying a word, just punched him in the face and <laughs> sent, sent him flying. And then said, never fucking pass the ball back to our goalkeeper again. <laughs> so he, he never used to call Crossley by his name. He used to say the goalkeeper or the our goalkeeper, goalkeeper yeah. didn't he, Clough? <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Forrest, Forrest were actually... Um... Forest were obviously quite central to the back pass law. Um, very quick one. In the uh, Makita tournament, which was the, uh, <laughs> that short-lived and wonderful pre-season tournament, this was in 92. So this was this was just after the rule had been introduced and you know teams were really, really trying to experiment with how they would deal with it. Um, Brian Laws um, knelt down and headed the ball back to his goalie. Oh, uh, on so, Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve Sutton, I think it was. And um, he got booked for it because it was because um, he was essentially trying to circumvent the rule. And yeah, he got booked for it for an unsporting or ungentlemanly conduct, as it would have been then. Is that probably the only time uh, that's ever been used? <laughs> the ungentlemanly uh, conduct. Uh, it has. Uh, we have probably. It, it covers so many so many possible things. It's it, ungentlemanly conduct is essentially the thing that covers where the rule doesn't exist. Yeah, indeed. The yeah. goes, well, we can't really be doing that. So uh, yeah, there you go. Does that still exist on gentlemanly conduct? Surely Rush should use it more. It's just been rebranded in in these more um, woke times to be um, <laughs> unsporting conduct. Ah, yeah, that, that's that's like tight. Anyway, yes, Arsenal. Sorry. Um, well, I, I just think that English teams were so bad in Europe for most of the nineties. <laughs> now I know United won the cup of the cup in ninety one, but they didn't beat that much apart from Barcelona in the final. Whereas Arsenal actually had a really tough run. People forget this. And I think there's a certain snobbery about the Cup Winners' Cup, but actually it doesn't necessarily stand up to scrutiny. 
certainly not what you look at they beat. So they beat um, Torino in the quarterfinals, and this is in the year when all Serie A teams were absolutely terrifying. Mm. You know, the, the champions of England could be playing the bottom team in Serie A, and the bottom team would be favourites. Um, semi-finals, they beat PSG, who had Ginola, Weyer, and they put out Real Madrid. Then in the final, they beat Parma, who had a front three of um, Zola, Brolin, when he was really good, and Aspria. Uh, they also had Benarivo and um, Apolloni, who played the World Cup final a couple of months later. Arsenal had a midfield of, I think, Paul Davis, Steve Morrow, and Ian Selly. Ian Selly. <laughs> Legend. Right suspended. It's a huge achievement, which is never spoken about, really. It's pretty much forgotten. People remember Naeem's goal of the year after more than they do. Wasn't Steve winning. Morrow famously dropped by Andy Linegan? No, by Tony Adams. Tony yeah. Adams, yeah. Um, I just think it's such a big achievement. And I, kind of, we take it for granted now that English teams, although English teams aren't so good in Europe anymore, they still get to a certain level, i.e. after Christmas. In those days, it was pretty unusual for any English teams, certainly more than one, to be in the competition in March. And I think that year, Arsenal were the only one. You know, United, who were a brilliant team and would win the double, were beaten by Galatasaray. And beat oh, yeah. them fairly comfortably, even though it was on away goals. They were kind of taught a lesson. Um, and I think Norwich beat Bayern Munich when it went out to Inter. Villa didn't go far. And Arsenal played against some really good teams. And I think yeah. it's just it's one of the great triumphs for that back forward. They didn't score many goals. Um, but I think they had conceded one in five knockout or in the kind of last five knockout games against good opposition. Mm. I think that's right. And I just, I just think it's a reminder of just how good that back forward team were. And also, it kind of always makes you wonder whether England missed a trick with that that back four just dropping them in on mass. I know it's not easy because you have really good players like Pierce and Gary Neville and so on. Um, but that was such a good back four. I kind of feel like we didn't quite appreciate well, that at the was, time that was, just how good they that were. That was something that other countries other countries used to do. I mean, I, like taking it to an extreme example, let's say sort of Lobanovsky, uh, Lobanovsky's yeah. Soviet Union, where he would basically transplant Dynamo Kiev's team. <laughs> yeah. in, in, the national team yeah, with with mixed results, but um, I, I agree. You know, maybe it's a kind of uh, greater than the sum of their parts situation where, all right, you might have better individuals, especially when it comes to a defence. Well, you think exactly. well, it might as well worth giving it a try. Do it in a do it in a way friendly with New Zealand or yeah. I don't know. But um, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't give it a go. Yeah, Italy and Milan up to a point. They, they kind of by '94, yeah. Saki had a lot of them, didn't he? Because Sotti yeah. was in the squad, and obviously the other three cost a and, and you, um, you talk about I mean, boring, boring Arsenal. They beat Standard Liège 10 0 on aggregate in the second yeah. round. 7 0 away, yes. 7 0 away. Even Ian Selly scored. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe those sort of the early to mid 90s, you had. You had English teams, I wasn't say British teams, but English, English teams who were, who, it, we weren't far removed from the European ban at all. We, weren't, we mm. were maybe about three or four years back into it. So obviously the talent was more or less there. Um, they, and you had, a, you had a sprinkling of, of good foreign players with the English clubs. But generally speaking, there was a complete lack of kind of street wisdom, if yeah, you like, exactly. when it came to European football. So um, Rob mentioned United and Galatasaray, where... There's, there's a, you must have seen this, but there's the video of, of United in Galatasaray where they were all pretty much terrified. You've got Ryan Giggs talking about the smell of the ground and how you could smell the cheap cigarettes. And, um, and then Cantona absolutely losing it, uh, punching <laughs> a ball into oblivion. Where and does it, that ball it, go? That yeah, is the greatest thing you've yeah. ever seen. How do you punch a ball that high? <laughs> I've, I've never seen... Well, one thing about that is quite interesting is that apparently... After you know, obviously there was the brawl with the police and everything on the way down the tunnel. And Cantona yeah. wanted to go back out and 
it is worth kill those fuckers. And even Roy, even Roy Keane was counselling against it. <laughs> never mind Robson, Bruce. I mean, there were some tough men in that team, and they didn't yeah. want to be. But you're right. I think it kind of sums up the, the, the naivety about everything, really, the experience yeah. tactically as well. And that's why I think it's so worthy. But Arsenal, and I know United won the Cup of this Cup three years earlier, but I don't think their run was nearly as tough as Arsenal's. No, but at, at the same time, um, um, what I remember of, of English teams in Europe in, in the mid-90s, all the way towards maybe when, when Chelsea won the Cup Winners' Cup in 98, mm. um, English teams at home were a kind of a different proposition. They kind of brought that Premier League tempo. Um, and, and, and a lot of the time, European teams or continental teams couldn't handle it. They, they, they were kind of sort of steamrolled by this kind of relentless relentless pace and tempo that they perhaps didn't play with. So every now and then, the English style of play kind of, kind of really, really was effective in Europe. And then maybe over the last sort of last 10 years or so, everything, the tactics are kind of, kind of homogenous across Europe anyway, so it doesn't really make as much difference. But there was a kind of period in the 90s where, where an English style of play was very effective at home, but then it got kind of unpicked away. That's true. I think a good example of that is United-Barcelona in 94-5. United drew two all at home to Barcelona, but they actually played really well. Certainly in the first half an hour, they ran them absolutely ragged. But then, of course, they went away and were slaughtered 4-0 at the time. Oh. Completely humiliating. So there you go. Then Arsenal's Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, underrated victory, we think. And then, of course, the next year... Well, they were going for back-to-back wins, weren't they? And then, of course, Nayeem from the halfway line and, and all of that stuff. So we will be back after these short messages uh, with our journeyman of the week. So stick around. Welcome back. So we're going to start back this second half of the show with our journeyman of the week. Now, I was thinking about this. What is it that makes a journeyman? I mean, it's the obvious stuff. Lots of clubs. Is there a minimum number of clubs you have to have played for to be a journeyman, do you think? I have an equation for this. Well, I developed myself an equation as well, Adam. So it'll be interesting to see if yours corresponds with mine. So shoot. Well, this is going to be, this is going to be a pretty cool couple of minutes. Right Isn't now. it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be back uh, in well, 10 minutes, lad. <laughs> <laughs> I've road tested this against a few sort of Wikipedia pages of, of various journeymen, and I'm fairly sure this stacks up. Basically, if you, if you take their age and divide it by four, if the, if the figure you get is less than the number of cubs they played for, you have a journeyman on your hands. So essentially, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, they have to have played for quite a few clubs in a, in a short space, relatively short space of time, rather than spread over a huge career. Um, like sort of John Burridge style. And um, so uh, take Nicholas Anelka, for example, who, who obliterates that equation because um, he's the deluxe journeyman. He, he, he played for lots of clubs and spent only a few seasons at each. Yours sounds a little bit more complicated than mine. I basically decided <laughs> that if you basically take the number of clubs they've played for and divide that by the number of years their career spanned, mm-hmm. and that gives you a percentage then, it gives you a percentage journeyman rating. So if you think about right. Alan Shearer, who played for three clubs in 18 years, he's 16% journeyman. Mm. And if you think about Letitia, two clubs but, in 17 years, 11% journeyman. Expected goals has got nothing on this. <laughs> I know, I tell you what, it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? I, so, I've had a complete mind blank here. Who the hell did Letitia play for, other than Southampton? Eastleigh. Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> he did. He had. He had his final. Career. He went from Southampton to Eastleigh, then retired, then came back and played for Guernsey years later. But I'm not, I wasn't counting that one. 
I think Letitia is going to very much um, protest this 11% rating. <laughs> he wouldn't be happy with that at all. He's about 0% yeah. that it gets, surely. But no, no, all right. Yeah, that's fine. Math, math. <laughs> so our journeyman of the week, our first journeyman of the week, and I've nominated this one, is the legendary 80s and 90s footballer, 70s as well, I think, actually, Imre Verardi. 20-year career, 16 clubs, which, in case you're wondering, gives him an 80% journeyman rating. <laughs> oh, I like this equation. It does work. It does work. Um, he played for five clubs in one year in 1995, <laughs> in Ray Verardi. He was part of the Leeds United side that won the old first division in 1992. Funny you should mention them. I found that out today. I was amazed. I had no idea. Yeah, only that. played in three matches. But and that wasn't enough games to get a winner's medal, which kind of sums up his career, really. <laughs> <laughs> he was the man who started the whole banana thing, wasn't he? They used to call him Imre Banana when they were waving the bananas around at City in the late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know whether he, that was the bananas came first and then they just called him that, or whether they called him that then the bananas came. It was a pretty dark time at City in the late eighties, really. I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only thing I know about Imre Berardi really is. Um, um, you, you know, you must know the Chuckle Brothers, of course, who are who are yes. huge Rotherham United fans. And uh, during the height of Chuckle Vision, they made a point <laughs> of sneaking Imri Baradi's name into as many episodes of Chuckle Vision as they could. <laughs> That's um, amazing. Yeah. What, so, was uh, kind of, what was the context of them using it? It was um, it was sort of along the you know along the lines of. Um, if, if they were expressing sort of starstruckness or or, or awesomeness, Imre yeah, and they, and they say, "Well, yeah, your hero, Imre Verardi, <laughs> someone like, yeah. like that," and um, and that is that is the beginning and end of my knowledge of Imre Verardi. And he was two years at Rotherham United in nineteen ninety three to nineteen ninety five. That's why I think he got sacked. He got that sacked. Reminds, that reminds you. Do you remember when? Oh, sorry, go on. No, oh, that's it. That's it. <laughs> no, he just got sacked. Yeah. <laughs> 98 World Cup when the England players had a bet to get as many song titles as they could in the uh, yeah the, um, in their interviews and I, I can still hear Tony Adams just going I'm so excited yeah. I don't know why that's just stuck in and what was it Graham Rousseau week. said what's the cab like well it's no Club Tropicana he said that it was there it was all that wasn't it and, uh, yeah. and then Shearer ruined it with his big with his big grin <laughs> yeah, yeah. you've so ruined that Shearer with his yeah. 16% journeyman rating some people say teams for it and lose a glimpse in the aftermath. Of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, can't really imagine that in Bloemfontein in 2010, can you? Or <laughs> There's no, there wouldn't have been enough character in England squad to, to pull that off, I don't think. Capello wouldn't have allowed that, would he? So, no, that's true. Some career highlights from Ray Verardi. He was a top scorer for West Bromwich Albion in 1986, uh, 85-86 season with a magnificently gigantic nine goals. <laughs> The Baggies were relegated that year, you'll be very surprised to hear. <laughs> he scored, a, if you look on YouTube, is it, it's Sheffield Wednesday 2, Liverpool 0 from 1984 at Anfield. And Imre is leading the line for Sheffield Wednesday and he scores a magnificent comedy goal against Grobelar. Grobelar tries to do one of his Grobelar things and it comes out to Verardi. And Grobelar chases him into the right channel and Verardi just wangs it one across the box and it ends up going in in the far corner. <laughs> I, watched, I watched that earlier. It was, um, it was a splendid piece of mugging off. Um, the sort of mugging off that only Grobelar really got at the time. It <laughs> yeah. was a good finish because he was it quite was, wide. He was very wide. He was in the right channel. It was a hell of quite an angle, yeah. yeah. And what, I, what also sums me up about him is when you read about him, apparently Hungary came asking if he played for them in 1984 because he's, he's of Hungarian yeah. descent. And apparently he turned them down because he said 
you've already got you've already got a lot of good strikers. I love that. <laughs> I love that he knew exactly what his place was in the grand scheme of things. He kind of went, oh, "Look, you don't want me, lads. Honestly, you know, you've got loads of good strikers. Don't you don't want me?" That's tremendous. That's admirable self awareness. If it's true, but yeah, that's that. So so the story is told. Kind of the opposite well, of Dave Ramsdale. In 1984, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, I'm not bad on 80s football, but I'm not right up there with what Hungary were like. <laughs> Hungary strike line, top line was like but in 84. Yeah. So yeah, so there you go, journeyman of the week, Mr. Imre Verardi, who, in case you're wondering, I'll just give it very, very quickly. Played for Letchworth, Sheffield United, Everton, Newcastle. Sheffield Wednesday, West Bromwich Albion, City, Sheffield Wednesday again, Leeds United, Luton, Oxford, Rotherham, Mansfield, Boston, Scunthorpe and Matlock. And just to confirm, Rotherham, Mansfield, Boston, Scunthorpe and Matlock were all in the same season. Which is which is some going. And he managed Matlock. Oh, he managed he Matlock as well, did he? Right. Yeah. Just to round it off. <laughs> player management is, is, is a cherry on the icing of the cake of a journeyman. Um, it's not. It's not. A, you don't. It's not mandatory, but it's nice to have. <laughs> it's encouraged. And now the and a lot of them end up becoming local radio colour commentators, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Right then, let's move on to Motti versus Barry Part Two. Oh, we've said we don't want it to be versus, do we? Motti and Barry Part Two. Let's talk about Barry, shall we? Now, I've mentioned. I mentioned this thing about Barry before. I'll start on this. I think there was almost a sort of cla- classic British class war objection to Barry from the footballing community in that I think the fact that he did the tennis and also did things like badminton in the Commonwealth Games, he was almost treated as if he was a bit of an imposter or that that's why the people didn't quite warm to him as much. We do, obviously, but I think generally people didn't quite warm to him as much. I do think it was something about him being a bit posh and, you know, did the tennis. Therefore, maybe didn't take football as seriously as he should, like Motson did. And pe- um, I would, uh, I don't know, it's, and when you talk about, I mean, one of the main... I don't agree with that, by the way. I'm just saying that's what I think. No, 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 I'm fine. hypothesizing. One of, yeah, one of the main kind of criteria for enjoying a commentator is, is this perception of whether they love football or not. And there, are, there, there is this kind of idea that he treated football with disdain. But his tellings off of various players, like England at the 1986 World Cup, where he just went, ah, as they gave the ball away in midfield. While you talk about um, that, let's just play that, because it is yeah, glorious. Ah, mistake by Fennick. And again, it's a three against two break. And this is Boniek, and he's onside. Two trying to come to him. Oh, what an important put in by Terry Butcher. But England just cannot afford to make crass errors like that. We've got away with it twice. We cannot tempt fate further. <laughs> yeah, have a bollocking, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a bollocking born out of uh, out of a desire to see football played in the right way and, and not to see errors made. So it, it it was yeah it was it was just a, it was kind of like a bad cop to, to Motson's good cop. It, it, he was telling them off because he wanted them to do better, not because he was disgusted with what he was seeing generally. And um, uh, but yeah, so I, I I would I would never I would never doubt Davis's love of football, despite the fact that he, you know he veered into hockey and and all sorts. But um, uh, but yeah, there you go. I, I also think he loved football. Like even I agree with Adam said, even when he bollocked Italy, which he did every two years, and no <laughs> Italian exit from a major tournament was complete without admonishment from Davis. But he did it because he kind of knew they could be better and they shouldn't be sitting on one goal leads after two minutes. Um yeah, I, I can't think of a commentator to me who so obvi- I thought he was a complete romantic and just 
completely in love with football. It's also yeah, the fact mean, a lot a lot of people don't like commentators who editorialise. They don't see that true. that's the job of a commentator. And Barry editorialised. He kind of went, "That was terrible," you know, and that needs to be better. Yeah, and actually, well, some people say that's not a commentator job, but I actually think it is. Yeah, but he was, uh, and so obviously, well, when he becomes known for that, people are going to focus on the on, on the times that he disapproved of things. But that, that for every moment that he would he was bollocking a play, he was he was he was talking poetically about a goal that just gone in. I, I don't know any other commentators who use the word "lovely" so many. Yeah, lovely goal. And, and, yeah. and it came across, oh, a lovely goal, and um and and it, it felt quite quite natural. And um, so, yeah, so for, for every lovely bit of play, um, uh, there was a bit that he disapproved of, and that's fine. Because people do say there's something about Motti's schoolboy excitement, and like you say, uh, Adam that somehow Barry didn't have that. But then if you listen to things like this... <laughs> Hughes wants to set himself up again! Oh, what a goal! <laughs> Big John Hughes moving <laughs> forward, breathing the chance and giving it the hammer! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I mean, seriously, breathing the chance and giving it the hammer—that is absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is one of my favourites, and it's a. I mean, obviously, Adam, you, I imagine, like you, like a lot of people, the hundred and one great goals video for the BBC was probably the greatest VHS release of all time, which is where I, I saw I all of these goals. Copy of hundred and one great goals when I die. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is actually when you listen to a lot of these clips, it's how many times he does react in total joy and say, "What a goal!" or "Lovely goal!" because it is, mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. Here's, let's have some others. McDonald's control! Oh, what a goal! What a brilliant goal! <laughs> Magnificent, and with the right foot too. <laughs> that sends that into complete and utter ecstasy and leaves Siddle wondering where it came from. <laughs> That's just this so is what good. I this is what I meant when I said he was—he had this kind of operatic voice because he kind yeah. of soars over the action, doesn't he? And um, and he doesn't—he doesn't. I mean, there was there was um, moments like look at his face, just look at his face, where he where his voice did kind of essentially just lose it. But every now and then, he he really did sort of capture the, the tone of everything really, really well. I think he was great at capturing the mood of whether it was a goal, a moment, <clears throat> like um. There are just so many. I was thinking, I can think of a couple of Ryan Giggs goals early in his career when it was that whole kind of infectious youth, and you think, geez, what are we seeing here? This is the best young player in forever, and he really captured it. I, th- I thought he was brilliant at that. But also, actually, the, Mar- the second Maradona goal when he um, the after the hand of goal when he beats half the England yeah. team, and he said, "You have to say that's magnificent." Well, let's, let's have a listen. A... Let's have a listen. He's not maybe as quick off his line. It's a fact Jimmy Hill won't shut up for the first five <laughs> seconds of the move. And uh, <laughs> that ball was played through to him, but here's Maradona again. And has Borchaga to his left, and Baldano to his left. He doesn't, he won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no debate about that goal. <laughs> Sorry, I'll start again. Yeah, go on. What I love about that is it captures the kind of ideal response to the goal. I suspect in reality it didn't capture the mood of the country at the time. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. But but I completely agree with it. You know, whether I did that, I don't know, because I was young and an idiot. But yeah, I, I I love that sense of that kind of naive appeal to the good nature of Joe Bloggs. I think it's really uh, something quite endearing about that. 
that goal and also um, uh, actually, as you mentioned, an, uh, another Ryan Giggs goal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, but I'm essentially paraphrasing uh, something Rob wrote years ago about Barry David. <laughs> yeah, um, he was so he was so pleased with what he'd just seen that um, that even he, one of the most um, you know well-spoken, very deliberate commentators, just essentially just lost it completely. So um, when Maradona was running through the phrase, he doesn't need them, became he don't need them. Yeah, and um, and uh, a brilliant one, which people mentioned to me a lot when when I was tweeting about Davis a while ago, was uh, Ryan Giggs scored against oh, Spurs at White Hart Lane. Said to Bernard Matthews, <laughs> and he, he rounds the keeper, and he, and he in, rather than calling it beautiful and brilliant, he essentially morphs them together and just call it beautiful. <laughs> he, he made a really good point about the Maradona goal once, which is that. As a commentator, he was almost chasing Maradona, and that's why those words got tangled because everything's happening so fast. Possibly because Jimmy Hill wouldn't shut up, as you said. I think but he's, he's always he's almost one step behind Maradona all the time, and that's why he yeah. said, "Don't do them." And then he obviously catches up. But I think it is easy, regardless of all of them, and we've talked about this before as well, Rob. Is how difficult a job it is. I think it's incredibly difficult. You know, yeah. I mean, we're I sat mean, here trying to talk. We could always just stop this and re-edit it if we wanted to. So that didn't go very well. But they can't do that. They have to I'm find amazed. the perfect word, the perfect intonation, the perfect, like your point, Adam, perfect operatic sort of a delivery mm. to suit the thing. It's incredible. Yeah, go on, Rob. I'm amazed there aren't more cock-ups. Um, <laughs> with co- no, but, but yeah, seriously, seriously, because of what yeah. you said. But a couple of things about Barry Davis just I like. One, we mentioned before, is his, his use of silence. Um, there's a famous clip, and I think it's one of his proudest commentaries which is um the Euro 96 semi-final and they went to him Desline and went to him about 10 minutes before the kickoff and the crowd were all singing three lines and he, he said he basically hardly says anything. you can get it on youtube he hardly says anything for 10 minutes but mm. i kind of like that it's like what am i going to add to this you know it's like kind yeah. of perfect patriotism whether you like it or not it's kind of it was like a perfect moment he's not gonna and i love the fact he did. and what annoys me a bit this happens a lot with um in cricket when richie bello died everyone said Oh, wasn't he brilliant? He knew how to use silence. And then none of the fuckers do. They just keep talking and talking. It's not that difficult. Um, it just doesn't. It just, it's just not tolerated in, in, in modern broadcasting. No, exactly. You can imagine um, someone in their ear going, dead air, dead air. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, um, occasionally you'll, you'll watch a game and um, maybe, the, maybe the commentators are having problems with their microphone or, or something's happening off the field and they can't say anything and there's just this blissful moment where all you can hear is the crowd yeah. and uh, it's, it's actually quite nice watching a game without a commentator um, you know occasionally you can press the red button and, and choose it and it's, uh, it's quite nice I really like going back to your 96 when um, Southgate misses and David says oh no and then just nothing he says nothing for ages yeah. just kind yeah. of lets the moment and it, I think that's, that's what brilliant. we're all doing that's what we were all doing exactly like, what's he going to add to that it's a tragedy yeah. for Gareth Southgate like fuck off I just yeah. think it's, it's brilliant commentary. The other thing I like about him is just he clearly cared about language. And one example is that he never called it a penalty shootout. He always called it a penalty competition, which <laughs> I think is really nice because shootout, like, what the fuck is this? Like Clint Eastwood film, you know? <laughs> um, and I just like the fact he always called it a penalty competition. I don't know. The, the, yeah, he just... He, I, it always struck me that, like, he'd be... I always thought the biggest difference in him and Martin, and I know this isn't fair, but I would think that he would... I imagine that he would bring a dictionary to the game and Motson would bring a Rothman's yearbook. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I know that's, that's a good simplistic, point, yeah, yeah. but I, don't, I just think Davis cared much more, well, not much more, but Davis just cared about language in a way that made him like certainly my favourite commentator. So we have another clip. I love this one. Yeah. 
Here's Jones. Oh, yes! Oh, what about that? <laughs> what about that? And look what it means. Just listen to what it means. Whatever happens, whether they go down or not, they're going down fighting. Back in the lead with a goal by Chris Jones. A superb pirouette and a real crunch to the far corner. That's a perfect example of what you've just said. You know, because one, it's the awareness of what's around him. Look at what it means. And he's aware of the noise and listen to what it means. And then he downshifts into a superb pirouette and a crunch into the far corner. <laughs> like that. You know, he's, he hasn't got that written down. That just... Yeah. We should say in fairness, he had a few shockers as well. Um, the 95 Cup final, he had a bit of a shocker. One of his rare Cup finals. So he, he was by no means perfect. But mm. yeah, I think when he was good, he kind of reached heights that other, other commentators didn't definitely... This has been a very this has been a very useful discussion for me because uh, as 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 a kind of diehard neutral, if you like, in in, in this possibly <laughs> debate, uh, um, I've I've actually now been convinced that maybe I do love Davis Davis more. Um, Don't succumb to peer it, pressure. It, <laughs> yeah, That's enough no, from it, us. It's it's, 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 a, it's a proper affection. It 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 um it's it's easy to enjoy Motson's commentary, but it's it, it was arguably harder to to warm to the man. Just because of what you say, he, he maybe his interests lie slightly differently to David's, but David perhaps he captured perhaps the passion of football a little bit better um, by by the means of what he said rather than Motson's just sound of Motson's voice. So yeah, over this last two minutes, I've convinced myself that maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but David was always the grandfather that I never had anyway, so that that um, that was always the case. You met him, didn't you, Rob? I did. I interviewed him once. I. I... On my birthday, actually, it was it was a, oh it was a, it was yeah he's such a nice guy. I interviewed him for the Blizzard, um, yeah. which is uh, you know the quarterly that Jonathan Wilson does. Yeah, he's just absolutely lovely guy. Um, I <laughs> I spilled a pint, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> so, I don't know whether it was nerves or just and it, we didn't we not have many, but, so you know. <laughs> Did he give you like a ah telling us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Colourful crassos. Smile just filled his pipe because he just will not learn. <laughs> Speaking of classic bits of passion, uh, we can't let Barry go without this one, can we? Did really well then against the upstump. The mention of Maradona. In his first World Cup, he didn't pick him in 78. He was sent off. Beautifully pulled down by Barkey! That is a classic example of that is what everybody was doing. Because nobody yeah. saw it coming, did they? It was just this big punt from De Boer, wasn't it? And then it just then that happened and everyone watching did what he did, but probably not quite, quite as a nicer voice ironic. as he did it in. Quite ironic really that he was um harping on about Maradona in a sort of Jimmy Hilling himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that as a verb to Jimmy Hill. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, Jimmy Hill is a verb. Yeah, definitely go down. I um uh, I ought to get this in. I, I'm not trying to upstage um, Rob's pint spilling incident, but by any means, <laughs> um, because at least it happened with uh, with Barry Davies in the flesh. But um, uh, I got married earlier this year, and uh, my brother, um, who was my best man, and he was in charge of the speech, um, managed to get a video message from Barry, who wow. um, 
who um, and I know this sounds this sounds cringy as fuck, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, he basically he basically recommendeared some of his famous lines uh, and reappropriated them for my wedding day. And that uh, is amazing. And, and uh, the whole thing, the whole thing, uh, I was I was just I was just dead. I was just dead. That's just confirmed my perception that he's one of the great human beings in my context. <laughs> that's incredible. That is true, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah, that's incredibly bastard. That's exactly, yeah, that's absolutely lovely. He, he did seem, and as always, he was such a nice guy. And even actually, you're right, we were talking earlier about the Motson thing. He's at pains to say, look, I'll go to my grave not knowing why he got certain things ahead of me. Yeah. But that's not, that's not his fault. There's no animosity. You know, we got him well. His book's actually a really entertaining read. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I just, I, I, perhaps one thing that maybe, well, I don't think this sums it up, but I think um, um, perhaps this this kind of um, encapsulates where they stood in the in the nation's kind of um, collective thinking at the time of when they were at the high their profession. But John Motson got an episode of This Is Your Life, and Barry Davis didn't. Mm, and uh, Barry Davis, Barry Davis was at least in the kind of special guest section of John Motson's. Um, bit sat on the sofa chuckling away but um when i as soon as i watched that i googled barry davis this is your life and it, nothing came up and i thought how dare they <laughs> so, uh, if it ever comes back that you better bloody well get the red book i do think that, that there is that is something about the motson as national treasure and barry not quite which is completely yeah, unfair maybe. but i do think that's the popular view oh yeah totally yeah, yeah. i agree and I, I agree i think it's unfair but um I think it all comes back to that common man thing, like you said. Mm. I think there's definitely something. I'm not. I'm not saying that's fair because I think no, indeed, it is what it is. Barry Davis is like a, just a football tragic, to use the uh, the vogue term. But yeah, he he wasn't always perceived that way. Yeah, I think he's getting his dues though. Um, yeah, you know, so when he came back a couple of years ago, or whenever it was, there was like an outpouring of love, wasn't there? When he when he did that Crystal Palace game, was it for the anniversary? Yeah, that's right. Of course, yeah, he returned to match of the day and. Um, and yeah, there was there was tribute pouring in as if he died. Oh, don't say that, Adam. That's don't say. Don't even say it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe they'll get me to do a video message for his funeral or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that's about an hour that we've got up to there. So we'll probably leave it there. Actually, thank you uh, very uh, much, Rob. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Adam, for coming along. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for all of your subscriptions and please continue to do so and tell your friends if you enjoy what we're doing here. Thank you very much, everybody, and speak to you next week. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.